Welcome to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah from Baker Tilly KDN. This podcast is about helping business owners and entrepreneurs understand and overcome their tax planning challenges. Join us for this journey as Frankie Loretto and Sarah Netley draw from years of expertise and guest experts to help make complex tax planning concepts make sense. Hello and welcome to From the Source with your hosts, Frankie and Sarah, where you get the right information right from the source. Hi, Wendy McConnell. Hi, ladies. How are we doing today? Hey, doing Wendy. Well, how are you? Oh, yeah. I'm good. I'm good. So I hear there's some exciting uh, tidbit of news to share with us. <laughs> there, yeah, <laughs> it's exciting to us. It may kind of resonate with other tax professionals, maybe not so much with our listeners, but we thought we thought it was a cool little story to to share about launching this podcast. So we launched it, you know, we had our, our episode, three episodes that launched and if people have noticed, if, if our listeners have taken notice of our picture, Frankie and I are actually holding a copy of the Practitioner's Income Tax Act, so the green book. And I would say a lot of tax professionals use that particular version. And that particular version is edited by a person named David Sherman. And so after we launched our podcast, we got a lovely email from David Sherman. So somehow our podcast, our little podcast out of Curtis, Ontario, uh, made its way to David Sherman's desk and we got a nice little email from him. So it was a nice uh, reminder of, you know, the content's getting out there and it's getting shared and uh yeah we, we felt pretty special kind of nerdy though was, right? yeah i think it was kind of a scary reminder when we were starting off like oh my gosh people are gonna listen to people this. are listening like, to this, this isn't yeah. just you and i talking exactly exactly really really cool it was funny because when we had first talked about you know what's the cover art gonna be like i don't want it to be this i don't want it to be that and i think i had the the first idea of like oh let's take a picture with just our eyes kind of peeking over the act and i i didn't have the intention of the full act being in the photo and i think we do have one of those photos but anyway yeah i think after we had done it i thought my head like oh like should we have gotten permission to use this book like if we keep doing this podcast it says like 2022 or whatever. I don't know. I started to spin. So it was funny that you got that email, which was really, really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Very, yeah, a very maybe nerdy tax moment for us. But uh, yeah, super cool. Is he like the Bradley Cooper of the tax world? He his name is well known. Let's just put it like that. His name <laughs> is no, known in yeah in the in the tax community. And, and I mean, it is on every single practitioners income tax every version that gets released you know his name is there so pretty cool we were excited that's great that's great good work ladies <laughs> yes thank you all Thanks right so let's much. dive into today's topic what are we going to talk about today so today we're going to pick up from where we left off on our last episode and so the last episode was you know death and taxes and really what happens when you die and you know if you remember from our last episode we were talking about clients kind of in you know kind of two spectrums right clients who are very particular about getting their estate plan in order and then the clients who are of that mindset of well you know I'm dead not my problem. So, you know, I'm not going to pay too much attention to it. So hopefully, you know, today's conversation, we're going to continue on that theme of, well, why should you care? And how can you, you know, ensure you're getting the right result? Beneficiaries are getting what they, you know, you're expecting them to get by doing a little bit of thinking beforehand. We really had, you know, 
our tax hat on when we were thinking about those two two different characteristics or two different types of clients. So today we're going to kind of add on top of that what we've covered really what are the tax implications. Now we're going to talk about some of the other kind of cash flow items you have to consider with the estate outside of the income tax uh, realm. So the big thing we're going to really talk about today is a bit the probate fees. We're going to talk a little bit about executor compensation, and then we're going to talk about you know leaving specific bequests and and the residue of the estate. We are sitting in Ontario, so we have our Ontario hat on, which is really important to remember, especially when we talk about probate, because probate is a provincial you know legislation, and you know the rules vary by province. So just going to put a disclaimer there. Probate is something that you would work, the executors would work with your the lawyers on to be filed and you would get you know, particular advice from your lawyer, but we will uh, speak on probate kind of with our accounting hat on today. Yeah, I guess we should probably start off with the basics. So what is probate? I guess the other way to refer to it is it's an estate administration process. So like what, Sarah, what's the main reason of probate? Like why do people need to care about it? Yeah. So really anytime you need, I'll say it like a third party. So an external organization, um, or an institution, you need help in transferring title or distributing assets out of an account. Usually they're going to want to have a valid final will and they're going to want comfort that they're dealing with the right person. So that the, you know, if I walk into a bank, for example, and say, okay, Frankie died, I'm the executor. I'm going to need to distribute all of her bank account, all the cash sitting there into a separate account for the estate. They want to make sure that I am, you know, that legal executor. And so by going through the probate process, you're getting validation, you're getting approved by the court that yes, this is the final will for that deceased individual. Yeah, and that process, you know, isn't a free one. All that work comes at a cost. So there is a fee. So when we talk about probate, we're really a lot of the times talking about the probate fee per se. And you know, the way the fee is calculated, you know, pro- probably differs by province, but in Ontario, it's really a percentage of the fair market value of the estate assets. Um, in Ontario, the first $50,000 of value is not subject to you know, a probate fee. So if you're dealing with a really small estate that has assets less than 50,000, there's not going to be a cost um, for probate, but all value in excess of that $50,000 is subject to a fee of about one and a half percent. Yeah. So when we are dealing with clients, we just typically say, you know, one and a half percent of the value, like the $50,000 kind of exemptions, you know, not really much to write home about. So just take the value of your estate and multiply it by one and a half percent. And that's typically the probate fee you're going to, the executors will have to pay when you pass away. So yeah, so we talked about one and a half percent on the value, the fair market value of your assets, but you can reduce the value of your estate by very limited amounts. So one really being um, mortgages or debt that's secured against real property. So if you have a mortgage on your house, that's going to reduce you know, the value of your house. And so it will reduce your probate fee, but really there's not much else that comes off of uh, your estate value for purposes of that probate calculation. And really not everything per se is going to be subject to probate. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But I think before we get into that, Sarah, we should comment on 
an individual's assets can either you know pass through their estate or there are ways that those assets can pass outside of the estate. And it's important to understand this difference exactly. because whether an asset passes through your estate or outside the estate is going to have an impact on how those assets are divided um, amongst the beneficiaries. And it can also impact what is subject to probate. Exactly. So that really starts to lend to a conversation of how do you own your assets um, and how do they get left to your beneficiaries on death? Because it's one thing to say, I've left everything to my beneficiaries and your will stipulates everything goes to, you know, let's say your son and daughter. But whether that asset is covered by the terms of your will becomes an important question. So I think really simply, let's think about beneficiary designations. So if you have a registered you know, retirement fund or registered uh, savings plan, you can name a beneficiary on that account. So if I were to die and I left my account to Frankie, she inherits that asset, that account outright. The passing of that account isn't dictated by the terms of my will. So I could have my will stipulate that all of my assets go to Wendy, but the registered account with Frankie as the beneficiary passes outside of the estate to Frankie. So if I don't have any other assets, sorry, Wendy, you're not getting anything because it all goes to Frankie outside of the estate, outside of the terms of the will. But that also has implications for probate, right? Frankie? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's one thing, right? If you have an asset with a certain beneficiary designated, that's not going to be subject to probate. It's not going through the estate. We also have to look at, you know, assets with joint ownership, with rights of survivorship and also tenants in common. So those are two kind of different ways of ownership and they have different implications from, you know, the estate point of view, the probate point of view. So when we're looking at jointly owned assets with a right of survivorship, if I was to jointly own something with Sarah and I was to pass away, my ownership is going to roll directly to Sarah, kind of similar in the situation with the the designated beneficiary. That interest is going to go right to Sarah. It's not going to pass through the estate. So it won't be subject to probate. Exactly. Effectively, because I'm the last man, last woman standing, I get to inherit, you know, or I get that asset outright. So again, let's. I'm just going to pick on Wendy again. So Frankie, you have a house which we own jointly, but you have a will that says, you know, Wendy inherits your estate. Well, if you pass away and I'm a joint owner with right of survivorship. I am now the sole owner of that house. And unfortunately, Wendy, again, you don't inherit anything because that asset doesn't pass through Frankie's estate. So again, you don't pay probate. The estate, sorry, Frankie's estate doesn't pay probate on the value, you know, her interest in the house. But, you know, Frankie thought she was leaving you this nice little pot of value, but you're not getting it. So the distinction between you know how assets pass through the estate versus outside the estate is really really important and i'm jumping ahead a little bit but we'll talk about why people sometimes incorrectly look at these probate planning opportunities in isolation and not you know in the context of their estate you know in in general so it's important to not make it so people are left out 
by accident is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. Exactly. And then just to f- finish the conversation on how you can own assets. So, you know, joint ownership with right of survivorship, that asset basically passes to, you know, the surviving owner or owners, whereas tenants in common, you as the individual have a divided interest. So Frankie has a 50% interest in the house that we own together. And in that case, if she was to pass away, I do not, you know, I don't get to inherit or own that house outright. In that case, Wendy, you would, through her will, be able to inherit her divided interest in that house. So again, probate now has to be paid on Frankie's interest in that house, but that value ends up in your hands, Wendy. So again, really important (laughs) distinction. Yeah. So even that's a very good example. It's important to understand the legal ownership of your property because you might be somebody that thinks that you've done all this probate planning and, you know, this asset's not going to be subject to probate because, you know, I'm a joint owner when you're really like it's a tenants in common relationship. Right. So it's very important to have a good grasp over all, you know, aspects of your assets that are going to eventually form part of your estate. So again, when you, when you're thinking about what probate, you know, fees are payable on, um, it's, you know, assets covered by your will effectively, right? I guess we can mention that in some circumstances, you know, a financial institution, for example, they probably, they have their own internal policy about how much they're willing, you know, to transfer out of the deceased's account. So if you have, if the deceased has like a nominal amount in their bank account, maybe ten, twenty thousand $20,000, the the bank may transfer those funds without needing a, a probated will but generally any if you have assets and at in any time even one of those assets covered by your will requires probate so okay so let's go through an example where we have a a person who's passed away and they have you know $20,000 or $100,000 in a, a bank account and the financial institution is not going to uh, transfer funds out of that deceased's bank account without a valid will or a probated will. And the deceased also was a business owner and had private company shares that are worth a million. So in this example, there's no outside party that the executors need permission from to transfer ownership of those shares, right? Then well might say, you know, my son is to inherit, you know, my shares in my private corporation. The directors of that company can pass resolutions to transfer ownership. So, so nobody, there's no third party that, you know, they need approval from. But because the bank is requiring a probated will to deal with that, you know, $100,000 in the bank account, now, all of a sudden, we have two assets that are going to be subject to probate. So the $100,000 know, bank account and the private company shares. So in Ontario, I would say simple probate planning when it comes to private company shares is this dual will strategy. So you carve out uh, your private company shares in a secondary will. So now if I had two wills, I have you know my will for my private company shares and my will for kind of all other assets. That bank account, which needs probate, I can pay probate on that bank account, one and a half percent. And I've now completely avoided probate on the value of my private company share. So that dual will strategy in Ontario is um, really effective and and I'll say relatively simple to uh, put in place. 
So you can't really pick and choose, you know, what assets within a will that needs to be probated that are actually going to be subject to the probate fee. So in that, is that like how I'm understanding that correctly, Sarah? Like just because, you know, well, technically I wouldn't need to go to a third party to deal with the transfer of the shares or say the transfer of real estate, but because there is a bank account in here that requires a probated will, all of those assets in that one will are now subject to, you know, a probate fee. Whereas with this dual will strategy, anything I don't need, you know, probate for, I can put in the second will and it's all now protected from the probate fee. Exactly. That's my regurgitation. So, I have to do absolutely, it. So I understand. A, <laughs> no, that's a that's a great summary. And I think the the kind of takeaway or the message, you know, for for our listeners to keep in mind when they're thinking about their estate plan and especially when when they're thinking about probate is don't focus so much on you know, how can I save probate? Because, you know, I think some of the examples we've shown, you end up with, you you could end up with unintended consequences, right? So let's not just save one and a half percent for the sake of saving one and a half percent. Let's think about how does making a beneficiary designation impact, you know, your overall estate plan? How does adding someone on title to a house impact your overall estate plan? And maybe Frankie, we can just kind of loop back to the conversation we had last episode on the on the registered accounts cuz it's it's a very important point i think for people to understand so for the purpose of saving 1 and a half percent of probate i could name frankie as my beneficiary and so if my only asset i own when i die is you know a million dollar registered account registered retirement plan and that goes directly so that cash that million dollar cash or you know investment portfolio goes to Frankie uh, when I die. My estate hasn't had to pay one and a half percent probate, but Wendy, you're my executor and you need to now deal with my final tax liability and final tax return filings. Well, on that final return, there's a million dollars of income to be reported as a result of that registered account. And my estate now has, let's say, over half a million dollar tax liability to pay. And so, Wendy, you as my executor are probably not super keen on having to deal with an estate that has a $500,000 tax liability and no assets in it to to pay that tax. So again, someone say, well, I saved one and a half percent, but look at all of the headache and all the complication you've added to your final estate uh, administration just for that one and a half percent savings. Why don't you guys like me? I know. I'm sorry. All of this, all the money, and I'm going to Bermuda. Sorry, sorry, Wendy. (laughs) And I'm not answering my phone. (laughs) Maybe you should have been nicer to Frankie while we while I was alive. Yeah, I think we typically will loop. You know the pitfalls that can come with probate planning, and this is not to say you shouldn't do probate planning. It's just making sure you're considering all the potential implications, but the pitfalls can kind of fall into one of three categories as I like to categorize them. You know, one is you can run into a liquidity issue, which Wendy will have if she has a $500,000 tax liability to deal with, and I'm off in Bermuda with all the money somewhere else and she can't get a hold of me. And two is there could be potential tax implications that, you know, we can talk a little bit more about uh, it's a really clear example of the principal residences that we all love to talk about. And then the last is, you know, failing to meet your non-tax or non-probate fee objectives. So if you want to leave a certain amount of money to your family, or if you have, 
you know, philanthropic objectives and you don't have the money to do that because of the probate fee planning you've done. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah. We hope you're enjoying it so far. If you have any questions or would like to talk more about this topic, you can find us at curtis.bakertilly.ca and all of our social media platforms are listed in the show notes. All right. Now that we've had a chance to uh, take a break, stretch our legs, we're going to jump into an example where, you know, Frankie and I get, will probably get questioned on the most uh, in terms of probate planning. And that has to do with adding kids to, uh, on title to your house. And so, you know, in this example, I'm going to, I'm going to use Wendy and I'm going to say Wendy has a son and a daughter. And in her mind, she would like to leave her estate equally to her son and daughter. But she's heard, you know, through the grapevine that there, you know, to save probate, to save one and a half percent to her estate, she can, you know, she should add her son on title to her house. And that way, when she passes away, there's no probate that'll be paid on the value of her house. So Frankie, what kind of issues do you foresee when when people ask us that question? I'd say the first, I'll say issue and what doesn't happen in practice is when you add somebody on title or if you transfer essentially some of your ownership to another individual, there's a disposition there for tax purposes. And in a lot of cases, that's a, you know, a taxable disposition, which in practice, a lot of people don't think to report. But in this case, adding your son or if you add your son and your daughter, there's a disposition, but you could use your principal residence exemption to shelter any capital gain on the interest that you're disposing of to your kids by adding them on title, which is fine. So the main issue has to deal with the principal residence exemption. So it could be compromised now that there's multiple owners on that property. And Really, the issue comes into play where those kids have their own principal residences, because when you are applying the principal residence exemption on the sale of a property, you can only apply it to one property per year. So essentially what's going to happen is, say we add the kids on title five years prior to, to Wendy passing away. We have five years there that the ownership of the property is split between Wendy and her kids. So if her kids go and sell that property that year following Wendy's passing, we've got five years of which two thirds potentially of that value could be subject to tax if they don't want to use their principal residence exemption on that property. Exactly. So I think Cole's notes version is you can potentially be taking an asset that is tax-free to you know the estate on Wendy's passing, so it'd be completely tax-free because of her principal residence exemption. And you, and for the simple sake of saving one and a half percent probate, you've now put a tax liability onto you know her kids or her son, whoever is now on title. So typically, we will recommend do not add your kids on title just for probate planning purposes, because you might be walking into 53 and a half percent, you know, tax liability in the future, or your kids may be walking into, you know, that tax liability. And then even, you know, bigger issues where again, Wendy, you've added your son on title to your house and that interest, you know, the house is worth 500,000 and you have, you know, $500,000 in a bank account and you want your, you think you're going to treat your kids equally and your will says everything's divided equally. Well, your son ends up with a $500,000 house when you pass away 
and he gets to share, you know, in half of the assets passing through your will, which would be, you know, that bank account. So now your kids aren't sharing proportionately. And then you probably have some legal issues as to whether, you know, does your daughter have a legal claim to any of the interest? It, it can really kind of spiral quickly with, you know, some, some legal issues, some non-tax issues. So generally we say, you know, unless there's a, a bigger picture here, let's not just add kids to the house for the sake of probate planning. So hopefully we've covered kind of the, the topic of probate in sufficient detail. And I, I think really the takeaway is before you simply name, you know, beneficiaries on your registered accounts, and that would include, you can name beneficiaries on life insurance. Uh, before you add people on title to bank accounts or real property, just for probate savings, let's take a step back and say, okay, but how does that impact your greater estate plan? So hopefully that's kind of the the takeaway that people can remember from a probate discussion. And maybe we want to just chat about executor comp quickly, because again, if if your executors are going to take some compensation, that's going to be a cash outflow that that's going to need to be funded after you pass away. So do you want to, Frankie, talk about what yeah, executor sh- comp is and how it's calculated? Sure. So really, exec- executor compensation is you know what it sounds like. It's compensation for your executor administering the estate. And typically, the way that's calculated is it's a percentage of the value of the estate assets that you know, essentially the executor is administering. So that compensation is taxable. So in situations where the executor is your kid and they're also the sole beneficiary, it's probably not going to make sense to pay themselves executor compensation because they're taking a tax-free inheritance and turning it into taxable income, which you wouldn't want to do. But on the flip side of that, if you have one child that's an executor and they're doing a whole whack of work administering the estate and you've got a you know, a couple siblings there, that one child who's the executor is probably going to want to take compensation to compensate them for the work that they're doing that their siblings don't have to do. Exactly. And I think, and this is maybe going on a bit of a tangent, but kind of loops into the discussion about executors is often too, we see, you know, somebody might have, you know, three children, for example, and they think they need to be fair and equal and name all three children as executors. And if one of your kids or multiple kids aren't close by or, you know, have moved out of province or just live far away and you'll really only have one or two children close by who are going to do, you know, most of the estate administration, then don't feel like you need to treat your children fairly. Just name one or name two and then allow them, you know, they can take compensation for those efforts because, you know, at the end of the day, it can, you know, cause maybe a bit of family tension if you have you know one kid doing all of it but really all three of them are are named as executors yeah it's one of those conversations like a lot of the estate planning conversations that you don't want to have with your kids like who's going to be the one administering my estate when i'm gone but it's really important to to do that now so there's no surprises down the line and there could be one child out of your you know, collection of children that just has the skills, has the organization, understands the estate, the functions of the estate and the executor's, you know, risks, et cetera. There could be a better person and it's better to have that conversation with them now so that they are prepared for it when the time comes. And then even better, if none of your kids want that responsibility, then you know now and you can look at hiring, you know, naming a professional or a trust company to to act in that capacity. So we're kind of running out on time, but really quickly, you know, one of the kind of 
cash outflow items. And this is a very different category than what we've been chatting about, but, um, you know, specific bequests. So in your will, you might name a beneficiary and this, you'll, you'll see this, you know, in respect of charities, for example, or if there's, um, you know, maybe grandchildren will also see it in respect of, so that you've Nate, you've uh, identified a fixed amount that you want, uh, those beneficiaries to get. And like the reason we're kind of bringing that up is because these are things that get paid out before your residual beneficiary. So residual beneficiaries are just that the people that will benefit from your estate after kind of all the other items are paid out. So what's left over? And again, if you just think back to, you know, why should I care? Well, you might say, well, I'm leaving my estate, the residual of my estate equally, you know, to my kids. Well, what if that comes, you know, to a point where there's nothing left over? So you thought they were getting, you know, half a million each, but at the end of the day, they actually got, you know, nothing or nominal. Like it's just something to think about and be aware of. Yeah, because we've got income tax to pay, we have probate to pay, we've got executor comp, we've got professional fees. And if, you know, I want to leave a hundred thousand dollars to this charity, I know that's gonna be way less than what I'm gonna leave to my kids. I'll let my kids have the residual. But if we're down to after paying all of those fees, $150,000, the charity gets a hundred and then we're splitting 50 between the kids. So that's where exactly. it goes back to what's your objective. Let's make sure we look at the plan in whole so we can meet that objective. Exactly. So at the end of the day, you know, okay, someone's, we've convinced somebody, we've convinced somebody to say, okay, I should care. So what should they do to start? Uh, we would suggest just sit down and think, what do you want to see happen when you pass away? And once you have that picture, then you can kind of layer on um, some of these other things we've talked about. So then you decide, okay, does it make sense to do probate planning? Um, should I be naming, you know, anybody as a beneficiary or does my estate really need, you know, the liquidity from an RSP or from life insurance to fund, you know, my final amounts? Is there tax planning strategies we can implement now? Uh, and how does that impact kind of what I want to happen when I die? So really at the end of the day, start with those objectives, work with kind of a, a team that you trust, you know, accountants, lawyers, financial advisors to make sure that after kind of layering all these considerations on, you're still at the position that you want your estate to be in. I think the old adage is, don't let the tail wag the dog. Well, in this case, don't let the tax tail or probate tail wag the dog, right? Don't do things in isolation. <laughs> okay, ladies. Well, it was not a good day for me. I lost a house. I died. And then my daughter lost half a house. So uh, hopefully I'm going to regroup and we'll be back stronger than ever for the next episode. Exactly. Sounds good. Perfect. So how do we get in touch with you, ladies? We have more questions. Yeah, we can give us a call at the office at 905-579-5659, or you can reach us online at curtis.bakertilly.ca. Well, thank you for joining us today. Please like, follow, and share from the source with your friends. Until next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to From the Source with Frankie and Sarah. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at curtis.bakertilly.ca or give us a call at 905-579-5659.
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Frankie Loretto, Sarah Netley, or Baker Tilly KDN. Baker Tilly KDN LLP is a member of the Baker Tilly Canada Cooperative, which is a member of the global network of Baker Tilly International Limited. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional accounting advice. Always seek the advice of your chartered professional accountant or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your tax planning.